here by the phone Waiting for the Lord to send my calling Streetwise from the boulevard Jesus only knows that she tries too hard She's only trying to keep the sky from falling Any man that says it's heaven and hell Probably got something useless to sell You ask me if I'm safe but what's it to you? Blow a quarter, cop another eight If you're running out of high, you're losing your faith Just throw your hands up and scream hallelujah He will absolutely destroy you and punish you, and it's a bad thing. So, I remember when I was really caught up and committed to a theology that was fundamentally legalistic and transactional. And I believed it, I supported it, I, I thought it was what the Bible said. And this would be one of the passages, one of the verses that I would use to support my theology of transactionalism and legalism. Obviously, if we don't please God, he is not going to be happy with us. He's not going to be in relationship with us. It's pretty clear from this statement, and there are others like it in Scripture. And so I would use this. And I would use this, obviously, to support my theology but I think a lot of it was fear-based because if it wasn't true, then what did that mean to me, right? So if this theology that I claimed to believe wasn't true, what would that mean? So I had to fight for it. And I would use verses like this to show people you're wrong about grace and, and you're wrong about these other things. And I knew that we are saved by grace, of course, but that is a really tough, they call that like cognitive dissonance to live in where you you think God is a God who loves sinners but he's not a God who loves you when you sin do you know what I mean like think about the gymnastics that you have to go through to engage that theology it's it's really difficult and I think we all do it we all still slide right back into this idea that God isn't going to love us if we're not you know living the right way 
mostly as I've gotten older and have discovered that maybe that's not really what the Bible's saying at all and, and what we've been learning together over the last 10 years of Cana is that maybe it really is about grace. And I've learned that the reason that statements like this can be so attractive and powerful is this is us. This is us. This is how we live with each other. We are quick to judge and quick to condemn and quick to punish those who don't please us, those who hurt us, those who violate rules that we think shouldn't be violated, even if they're not hurting us. This is how we live. And so because of that, that's attractive because we could say, oh, now I get it. I understand God. God is like me. That's a God I can understand. And I don't have to worry about this big mystery of grace and this mystery that I don't understand and these things that are so different. But what if that's not what Paul was saying at all? First of all, he didn't say God would punish you even here. Right? I just made, I made that end up. Right? Did you catch that? But that's what happens, doesn't it? We always turn something that Paul said slightly different. Oh, no, it says right here, God's going to destroy sinners. No, actually, it doesn't say that. It says whoever sows to the flesh from the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. So what if Paul's not saying that at all? What if, what if there's a translation problem here? And I don't mean the translators made a problem. That's not what I mean. What I mean if, is it's so hard, isn't it, to go from whatever the original Greek was into that Latin, that, that's a big jump. Then the Latin into the English was a massive jump. But then we have another problem is that English that was used and understood then that was translated scripture is not the English we use and understand now. Words are very different. Words carry meanings from English culture to English culture. Trust me, the first time I was teaching in a, I was helping the assistant teachers in an Australian classroom with two-year-olds and and little boy, we're working on something, and he made a mistake, and he's like, Mr. Gentleman, do you have a rubber? And I'm just, like, I was completely off guard, like, what? That's eraser. So, I, I, no idea. English words are really challenging. But see, I didn't care about that when I was lost in that theology. I didn't even care that I was taking this out of context. I was, take, I was taking this out of context of Galatians, the definitive book on grace. I was taking it out of the context of Paul's entire library, which is all about grace, the context of the New Testament, and ultimately the context of the entire Bible, which is God loves sinners so much he died for. Right? So what if Paul is not saying what it seems he's saying? What if Paul here is instead giving a beautiful, layered revelation of cosmic proportion and cosmic See, so what if Paul is saying to this, to the people, hey, you know, if you sow bad seed, you're going to have a bad harvest. And if you sow, and if you want a good harvest, you have to sow good seed. Now, what a brilliant metaphor, illustration to use for his time and place, right? Everyone was so connected to an agricultural understanding of life that they would have got that right away, right? Some of us, that's tough because I'm convinced there's people today that think, food comes from a warehouse and has no idea it comes from the ground. Literally, I'm, I'm not kidding. I think people just go into stores to buy their food. They have no idea that if farmers are not planting good seed, there isn't going to be a harvest. So everyone understood this. 
oh yeah. And Paul says, well, guess what? That's how the universe God made works. This is how it works. And I think, and it's not just in agriculture. It was just a brilliant illustration that made them go, oh, yeah. This is how our universe works. And I think science has even shown us, right? Some higher level of science I don't get, but says for every action there's whatever that, there's another reaction, whatever it is. This is the universe God created. And think about it. Let, let, I mean, it, it's not just in agriculture. Let's, let's use our bodies. So science has told us now how to take care of our teeth. Mostly, I think they'll get better at it as there's more discovery. But right now, we're at a pretty good place where they tell us these are things that are really bad for our teeth. And oh, by the way, you should really brush your teeth at least twice a day. You should floss at least once a day. And if you insist on eating all that stuff that's bad for teeth, and you never put a toothbrush in your mouth, and you never floss, your teeth are going to rot and be destroyed, right? That's just how our universe works. If we continue to put poison in our bodies, eventually we're going to wreak destruction of our bodies. And this goes on. This goes beyond that, the physical. So remember last week, we, we, we started chapter 6, and we went back to chapter 5. So here's acts of the flesh. Okay, so we talked about this, works of the flesh. Remember way back in five? And here's Paul saying, if you sow to the flesh, well, let's just talk. Look, if, if you sow hatred and discord and jealousy and rage and envy, what are you going to reap? Broken relationships. Our relationships are going to be destroyed if that's what we're sowing all the time. Right? That's just how it is. So, for example, lying. If you lie and you sow lying, what eventually happens to those relationships? This was one of our biggest things we tried to do with our little ones when they were little is, and we catch them in these, just these little tiny lies that were insignificant at the time, but what we would try to do with them is help them understand that, listen, if you continue to lie, we're, end, we're gonna end up without relationship. Not because I get mad or I don't like you when you lie to me, that has nothing to do with it. But because if I don't know what's going on, I can't help you. So for example, Back to the teeth thing. How many of us have little ones? How many times did you brush your teeth? Yep. You know they didn't because you never heard the water come on. You go in, you cut the toothbrush, it's bone dry, right? So here's the thing. They're not hurting you, I hope. And if they are hurting you, I want to encourage you to get counseling for that, okay? It doesn't, it, you just want them to do right. And so if you don't know they're not brushing their teeth, they're going to show up at the dentist one day and what's going to happen? Their teeth are going to be rotten. You couldn't help them because they lied to you. Lying destroys relationships. So what if Paul's saying God is so magnificent and so huge and so intelligent when he thought this universe for us, he just put it all there. He designed this universe on a very complex law called karma. It's here. If you sow to death, you will die. So it's all here already because he's so amazingly brilliant. Beyond our comprehension, everything is already in place. So what if Paul is not saying at all this has anything to do with God's emotions toward us? This is just how the universe works. So don't be deceived. If you sow to the flesh, destruction comes. 
not because God hates you. Not at all. Not because he likes punishing sinners. No. Because this is how our universe works. This is the universe he gave us. And I think he gave it to us for a beautiful reason, which I'll get to in a second. But so what if Paul's saying that? I think this is what the psalmist beautifully understood. And here's what I love about trying to understand scripture from this beautiful perspective of grace. We find out what other scriptures mean. So look what the psalmist wrote. I love this psalm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prosper. So here's the psalmist saying, God, I want to live. What must I do? Oh, well, I've already done that. I've given you the universe and I'll show you what to do. And this will bring life. Not, oh, you do this and oh, God suddenly thinks you're wonderful and you get a gold star for it. You see how this just changes everything? So here's these beautiful psalmists, these beautiful writers of the Old Testament struggling to know what is life. Not so the wicked, they're chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment for sinners, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You see how different that is? This isn't about a God that loves those who are good and hates those who are bad. This is just the universe he created. God loves us all. It's beautiful. And so he said, if you sow to the flesh, destruction comes. But if you sow to the spirit, oh, let me go back one. Because there's something here I want to talk about before we get here. But if you sow to the spirit, there's life. So, I think God builds this universe for us. And he puts these things in place, and he hopes against hope. And he assumes, and he anticipates, and he believes that that's going to be all we need. And we're going to learn pretty quickly that when we sow to life, there is life. And when we sow to death, there's death, so we're not going to sow to death. Right? Isn't that what you hope? I would think he had that much faith in us. And was so hoping, I'm giving it all to them, it's going to be pretty easy. And I'm going to lay it out for them, and I'm going to teach them. But I want to make a side note now before we get to this, because this is where the illustration gets beautiful and layered and magnificent about what I think Paul is really saying here. But I need to make a side note about this word, please. Because I think this is where this translation issue I talked about, English, really comes into play. First of all, the scholars, I don't think necessarily please should be here. And the translation is about maybe a 70-40 split. 70-30 split would be 100, I think. Um, where there's like 70 that don't, and then 30 that put the word please in. Here's all I know, because I'm not a translation scholar at all. All I know is this, whatever Paul meant, he didn't mean what we know by please. I can guarantee that. And wherever we find please in scripture, I can guarantee you it's not how we understand please. Because here's the problem with the word please in our culture and our day and age. Please is the quintessential word of transactional relationships. Please is what transaction is all about. And we do this to each other from the time we are little. And it starts with our parenting. If you don't please me, you are not getting ice cream. And if you don't please me by doing that, you're not getting this. 
And if you don't please me, you are not getting that. And if you don't please me by brushing your teeth, you're not going to stay up 15 minutes later for that Christmas special. And on and on it goes. Now here's the thing. I'm not talking about giving our kids rules. At all. Rules are good. Rules are helpful. Rules can lead to life. And no rules can lead to chaos. Our kids had tons of rules growing up. But here's what we strive to do. We often failed at it because we live in this world of transactionism, but we really strive to stress to them as much as their little minds could handle it, this has nothing to do with how we feel about you. Because what happens is, and sometimes it did because we're human, and sometimes I was just really in a bad mood. And it really irked me what they were doing. But that's not God. That's us. And so what we do as we try to communicate these important rules as little kids, the way we do it, start hearing, oh, if I make mommy happy, she's not going to be mad and mean to me. And if I make mommy unhappy, she's going to be mad and mean to me. See how that happens? And now we're in transaction. We're not in a relationship, we're in transaction. Please. Then you get older, you go to school. Need rules. But a lot of teachers can't separate out the difference between their emotions and why the rule is good. So now it's, oh, if you don't please me by sitting down and shutting up, you're going to have to go see the principal. Now all the kid hears is, oh, one more person i got to please. And if I please them, they'll be really good to me. And if I don't, they're going to be really mean to me. But that's not the point of rules. And then, sadly, we get into adult relationships. And this is why relationships don't last. This is why marriages don't last. This is why close friendships don't last. Because we just transact with each other. And as long as you please me, I'll, I'll, I'll be in relationship with you. And when you don't please me, I'm not going to be in relationship with you. And you know, I don't have to come up with examples. I know everyone sitting there knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so we think because we relate like this, God relates like this. But what if that's not what pleasing means at all? That's why the opening quote today, for those of you that were early enough to get the opening quote, which was really late, it wasn't even early, because the opening quote comes late now. So if you missed it, you were super late. The opening quote was, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. But David, the Old Testament, the pleasing aromas to God, yeah, you know what the Old Testament needed? The Old Testament needed the Book of Job. Because the Book of Job is this profoundly unbelievable, one of the most magnificent books ever written about God, in which God absolutely denies that he is in transactional relationship with us. That's what the Old Testament needed. Oh, wait, the Old Testament has that book. <coughs> Isn't it funny how God gave us this scripture clearly to try to help us? It's not about transaction, and we miss that. So, what if all the language of please in the Bible and in what Paul's saying here is like this? Let's go back to the teeth and the little kids. You know, you teach your kids to brush their teeth before bed because you know they've eaten stuff during the day that they've got to get off those teeth before they go to sleep, right? And all you're doing 
is working at it and working at it and working at it. And then the day comes when they walk up to you and they're like, brush my teeth. And you never have to ask them. And then the day comes when they just brush their teeth all the time. How happy are you? If you're there, you should be there by now, I hope. And you get to that point and you're like, please. Not because they made you happy or did something for you. They didn't do anything for you. Brushing their teeth has nothing to do with you. But boy, you're choosing life, aren't they? And that makes you feel so good. So good. What if that's what the language of Scripture is all about? It makes God so happy when we choose life. Not that he rewards us with life because we choose it. Or that he rewards us with death when we don't. Because when you sow to death, you die. And when you sow to life, you live. And he wants us to live. And so... He puts in, oh, now we can go back to that, this one. This is what I like. This is what a lot of translations look like. From one who sows to his own flesh, from the flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit, and gets rid of that word, please. But anyway, so, in closing, here's where this illustration gets even more beautiful. If you sow to the spirit, from the spirit you will have life. So while God hoped and planned and wished and anticipated and believed that we would choose life, he didn't. He chose death. And so back even before then, this thought became our universe, St. Peter said, he figured out another law. A law that moves outside of karma. It's called grace. Because St. Peter said he died from the foundations of the world. What an amazing God that he went even beyond his own law because he loves us so much he wanted us to live and give us a way out. And so now we have this other law. This is why from the Spirit we reap eternal life not just regular life. We can reap life just within the law of karma. But we can reap forever life because of this law of grace. And the worst part of reaping death <coughs> is that it doesn't just affect us. Isn't that the worst part of reaping death? It can affect so many people. It would have been really much simpler and cool if God had just designed this universe where whatever we did just affected us. But it's not like that, is it? It's not like that. And so we chose death and, and now this destruction, this violence started in this world. There's violence everywhere. It's what the Old Testament is. It's a book of violence and everyone wants to make God, therefore, a God of violence. God's not a God of violence. God took on all the violence to end the violence. And it just comes. Like this young man that went into the bar this week in Southern California. When I first heard he 
before I heard his name and they said it was an ex-Marine, I just remember praying, please don't let it be my nephew. I worry about my nephew doing that every day. You see, here's the thing, Veterans Day, I love our soldiers. I pray for our soldiers. I don't love what they do, and I don't love war. War is violence. And that was a man who was trained to kill people. And then he went and killed people. And then he came home. And there's no training not to kill people. There's no help on what you do after you have been taught to sow death. There's no help. You're just violent. And you sow death and, and then it comes destruction to a lot of people. Don't be deceived. God is not we need to understand what that means when we think about what we support and what our worldviews are. If you want to call war necessary, I'm fine. Even as a follower of Jesus Christ, I will understand that term of war. Please don't ever call it good. Don't ever call it life. It's not. It destroys. Even in all this violence, even when we choose to reap death, there's another law that can even help us get through the, the destruction that will come, but it will help us because it won't be the final destruction. Because life wins. Maybe that's what Paul was saying. There is a law in this world called karma. outside of karma. And I pray we can all move into it. Because I think when we're functioning in anything except grace, we might be Stay.
Yeah. 